change. There's things in our life that we hope to see be better, that we hope to see improve, where uh, we want to see things uh, be different than they are right now. And we believe that. We, we believe that that is possible, that God can work in your life. And, and you probably believe this for yourself, or maybe you're not sure if you believe it. You hope it's true that God can work in your life, that things can be different, that things can be better. Maybe this for you is your relationships. You hope, man, I, I really hope my relationships this year in 2019 can be stronger than they are today. Maybe it's your emotional life or your work-life balance or, or whatever it might be. Maybe there's fears that you have that have perplexed you and, and stresses that you have that have kind of burdened you for, for a long time, and you hope, man, I, I really hope these things can be different. I hope they can be better. I hope life can be stronger in some way, and, for, and we all kind of approach this in different ways, okay? So for some of you, maybe you're, you're really hopeful, and you're like, man, I know life's going to be better. I know it can happen, and, and, and it's for you, you come to this idea or this kind of thought of life being stronger. You come to that with a lot of hope, and man, just give me the plan. What is it? Let's do it. I'm, I'm ready to go. And for some of you, maybe you feel stuck. You, you, you look at this and you're like, man, I, I want that, but I've tried and I'm kind of going around in circles and life kind of just seems the same. And, and maybe some of you come to it even desperate. Like, man, if, if life doesn't get better, if, if things don't improve, if stuff doesn't get stronger where it is, where, from where it is now, then I, I really don't know what I'm going to do. And we can all come to this idea in, in different ways, but, but we do believe that it is possible for us to experience growth, for us to experience change. And, and often we know, and I know sometimes this isn't totally true, but a lot of times we know what it is that needs to change. We know the areas that we want to grow. We know what, but not always how. We know where we want things to be different. We know who we want to be different, we, but we don't exactly know how for that to happen. And what if we could have a, a really clear picture of the goal that God has for us and, a, and, and, and know the, the kind of blocks that might get in the way and to discern what helps us get there and what doesn't help us get there. So today we're, we're talking about how, how it is that we grow, how it is that we change. Whatever area it is for you in your life that you say, I want to experience growth here. I want to experience change here. How do we do that? And, and to do that, we, we need to understand a few things. We need to understand what the destination is that we're aiming at, how we actually get there, and what can get in the way. So we're going to uh, pick up in First Timothy where we left off last week. But before we do that, I would just like to uh, pray for us and, um, and ask God to use our time together. Father, would you uh, even now just open our hearts to hear your voice? We, we come to a letter written a couple thousand years ago, and yet... Uh, we believe, God, that you speak to us today, uh, that you see our hearts today, you see our struggles today, you see our hopes today, and we ask that you would lead us today, open our minds, soften us to receive what you would have for us, show us who you are and what you have. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that even now you would speak, allow me to uh, speak your words faithfully. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's, uh, let's pick up here and, and we'll begin to see what it is that helps us to experience the growth that God has for us. Here's what, Timothy, here's what Paul says to Timothy. This is right in the beginning of the letter. He says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, 
These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. So we, we look at this beginning of Timothy, uh, of Paul's letter to Timothy, and he really lays out some of his hopes for the church, some of his hopes for you and I of how God will help us grow, what it is that God wants for us and how we can actually experience that. So let's just start with this question, which is what is God's goal for change in our lives? We want to grow. We want to experience life better than it is now. But what is God's goal for change in our lives? If God were to show up and he were to talk with you and you were to show him your New Year's resolutions or he were to look at your plans for 2019, your hopes, your desires for 2019, what is God's goal? What is it that he wants in your life? If you go to Google and you uh, type in God wants uh, it kind of gives you a little bit of in, uh, a window into our psyche of what it is that maybe we might believe that God wants. This says God wants you to, and the first thing that comes up is be happy, which is probably what many of us believe. God wants me to be happy, or God wants you to be rich. Maybe that's really what you think. Maybe God's goal for my life is success, and God wants you to know. It doesn't finish it, but just says that. My favorite one is God wants you to wear a hat. I have no idea why that's number four, but... Maybe this is what God's big goal for you is, is just, if you would just wear a hat, things would be a lot better. Uh, and maybe, that, I don't think that's true, but uh, God wants you to prosper. God wants you to win. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to roll, man, whatever that means. He wants you to roll. Uh, God wants you to know all devotion, and God wants you to love yourself. This is what comes up, and this really is a window into maybe what we believe God wants in our life. Generally, some picture of God wants us to feel better. He wants uh, our lives to, to be better with happiness and riches and hats and prosperity and to, to just win at life, to, to have health. And these are some of the, it's interesting because these are really what we want, right? It's always interesting when we believe this is what God wants. Well, really, it's just an actual reflection of what we want. We want riches. We want success. We want to win. We want hats, and we want to love ourselves, <laughs> and we definitely want to roll, you know? I mean, that, that's what we want, and we say, this is what God wants, but Paul gives us a, a picture where he says, you know what God wants for your life? You know what? Before you can even start before you can even start to say, how do I change? How do I grow? How do, how do things get different? We should root ourselves in, what is it that God wants for my life? What is his goal for change in my life? And here's what Paul says. He says, the goal of our instruction, and Paul, Paul is love. Paul started by saying that he is commanded by God to write these things, to bring these things, to teach these things. And he says, here's the goal. Here's where it's all leading. 
God has led me to write this to you. God has instructed me as an apostle to bring truth to you. And you know what the entire goal of all of it is? You know what the goal of this letter is? The goal of my instruction is? The goal I have for the church is? Paul says the goal is love. That what God wants for you, what God's goal for change in each of our lives is love. Now, that, that's a... That's something that maybe if we hadn't looked at Google first and kind of seen all the things, it's an easy thing to kind of guess, to say, yeah, of course God wants me to experience love. But, but think about what would actually happen in this. I mean, what would happen? And love is, is comprehensive. Like, what would happen if you loved God more than you do now? I think, think about what would take place in your life if you loved God more than you do today. You know what would happen? You would trust him really deeply, right? You would trust him. The things that are difficult that you're not sure about, the things that God speaks into your life that you say, I don't know if I can do that. If you loved him, man, you would trust him. And you would want him. You would want God. And there's so many things in our life that compete with God all the time, right? Whether, that is, whether that's our own health or our desire for riches or whatever it might be, things that we say, I want this. But, man, if we loved God, we would feel full. We would feel, man, I've got what I need. I've, I've, I've got everything. I mean, we wouldn't be a materialistic society. We wouldn't be a greedy society. We wouldn't be a selfish society if we said, man, I've got what I need, I, I love, I mean, think about people that are in love, you know, and they often use this language with each other where they're just like, I don't need anything else. I've got you. I don't need anything. I don't need any diamond rings or any, you know, all these songs back in the 90s R&B. It was all about like, all I need is you, babe, you know. And if we had God and we really said, man, I love him, that would free us from desires for for so many different things that might be the areas that you say, when we, right, go back to like when we think about, man, I want to change in my life. I want to change. I mean, imagine the change that would come into your life if you loved God. So you're free from needing other things and you trust him. So what's difficult, you're able to actually follow in. You're able to obey him. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey what I command. Because when we love someone, we are more willing to say, I want to do what you want me to do. Right? It's a lot easier to, to serve somebody, to listen to somebody when we say, I, I love you. So I want to obey you. So what is God's goal for change in our lives? It starts with he wants us to love him. He wants us to love him. And it's also that we would love each other. I mean, imagine the change that would happen in your life if we loved other people more than we do now. Now, when I think about this and, and, and God says, my, my goal for instructing, the goal, here's the whole reason that I'm instructing you, the whole reason that I'm teaching you, here's the aim, here's the goal of it, it's love. I, I look at my life and go, yeah, there would be so many, th if I was a more loving father, a more loving husband, a more loving friend, man, all the, all the goals I have for my life would be, would be met if I was able to just say, man, I just love people more. Man, that, imagine the things that would happen in your life at home that would be different. Probably the things that, complain, that people complain about with you would go away if you loved more. And probably even the things that you complain about other people would be transformed. You show up to work 
and there's people that are jerks, and there's people that are rude, but if your heart was full of love towards them, wouldn't that change things? If you just said, man, I've actually, I've grown in love. God's goal for me was to love people more, and I, I love you more now. So you're a jerk, but it's okay. You know, I'm not saying you would say that, but you might feel that, and your heart would be different, right? I mean, if we love people, things are changed. What, what, what Paul says is, here's what God's goal in your life is. He wants you to grow in love for him. And he wants you to grow in love for other people. What if every situation in your life, you were able to respond with love? You were able to respond with love. Love really is the opposite of every sin that there is. Every sin in life, in some way, the opposite of it is love to do what is best for people. But, Paul says, in order to experience God's goal for change in our lives, we need an inner change to take place. He says that this love comes from a pure heart. And here's what that means. It means a heart that doesn't want sin. Purity means it's unmixed. So there's this pure pure, uh, motivation and this pure desire to say, I want what God wants. Love flows out of that. And it comes from a good conscience, which means not uh, burdened down by guilt. So your love is fake if it's just, okay, I know I have to do this, so I guess I'll do it. But love is from a good conscience, a pure heart, and a sincere faith, which is the opposite of hypocrisy. It's not, a, it's not just kind of going through the motions or just doing things and, and not really believing them or feeling them, but it's a sincere faith. He says love has to have an inner heart change. So here's what God's goal for change in our lives is. It's that we would become loving people. Not just that we would do certain things that look like love or acts of love, but that we would actually, from the inside, a a pure heart, a sincere faith, a good conscience, that from the inside, we would become loving people. That's what God's goal is. Imagine more love in your life touching every single area. That, that is what God wants for you. What God wants for you is to grow in love and to be a part of a community that is growing in love. Now, what, what keeps us from that? What keeps us from experiencing God's goal for us? What keeps us from experiencing the change that he wants to do in our life? Because I think we could all probably agree, man, if I, if I was more loving, things would be better. If I loved God more, things would be better. But what keeps us from actually experiencing that? And there's a lot of things that could keep us from that. There's a lot of different things that, that we could answer. Our own selfish desires and uh, our, our upbringing and things that have kind of taught us bad habits of not loving people well. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could list out here. And Paul isn't comprehensive to say, let me tell you everything ever that could keep you from love. But I think what's interesting about this section is Paul tells us something that keeps us from love that we don't often think about. Like if I, if I were to sit down with you and, and boil down your goals, you were to list out, man, here's where I want to grow in 2019. We could probably boil that down to I want to grow in love and I want to love God more. And if, and if we were to talk about what keeps you from that, you're probably not going to give the answer that Paul gives. You're probably going to be able to list out all sorts of things that might make it difficult for you to love, but we probably won't give the answer that Paul gives. 
And this is why this is so important, because it's something that Paul says is really serious, and yet I think we often don't even think about. It's something that Paul says, this could keep you from God's goal of change in your life. This could keep you from love. But it's something we don't even think is an issue, that we don't even really consider. So it's an interesting thing that he gives to us. Let, let, me, let me give you the answer by prefacing it with a game that we play in my house with my kids. My kids are 8 and 10, and we play a game called agree or disagree. Okay, And, and here's how this goes. We, we, we just kind of make a statement. So say, hey, let's say uh, donuts are better than ice cream. Agree or disagree? Okay, and we go around the table, and everyone kind of answers, and the people that are righteous say, uh, agree, donuts are better than ice cream. Um, so we just kind of give this game, right? It's just agree or disagree. And kind of the point of the game is to sort of understand each other more, right? But it's also, it starts to kind of level up. It starts to get into a little more intense things to create conversation. So we might say, hey, agree or disagree, it's good to keep secrets from people. Well, see, now that changes things a little bit. That's a little bit different from donuts and ice cream. It's good to keep secrets from people. And usually... Uh, you know, I think kids, at least that age, are kind of smart. They kind of know what the right answer is supposed to be. So, like, disagree. And then agree, maybe, and then someone else would disagree. And and then usually when it gets back to me and our kids are kind of starting to learn this, it it usually lands on depende, which means it depends in Spanish, okay? So, depende, which is like it depends. Maybe it's good to keep secrets if you're planning a birthday party for somebody, but maybe it's not good to keep secrets if you... If somebody said, hey, don't tell your parents this, right? So a lot of times, a lot of answers end up being on the it depends side. Now, here's what's, let's play this game together. Teaching from the Bible is good. Agree or disagree? Now, don't don't answer out loud, okay? (laughs) So the answer is going to be depende, right? That's what the answer is going to be. But see, this is what we don't. This is where we miss it and what Paul wants to point out to help us that is so important. See, teaching from the Bible is good. If you're a church person, if you're a Christian, that's what you're supposed to believe. Man, if somebody is teaching the Bible, that's good. Paul says in Greek, depende, you know, however he would have said that. I don't know the word for it in Greek. He says it depends. It depends. This is the really interesting thing. See, it depends on how it is used. Look what he says. He says there's some teachers, some people, and their goal is they want to be teachers of the law. Now, the law, he's not talking about the Constitution or the the laws in Greco-Roman society. He's talking about God's law. He's talking about the Bible. Okay, At this point, he's talking about the Old Testament. He says they want to be teachers of the law. They desire to teach people the Bible. He says, there's this group of people, there's, there is this people in Ephesus, and Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to help him actually fight against these people in part. And he says, there's some people whose desire, whose plan, what they are doing right now is they are teaching people the Bible, and it needs to stop. It needs to be shut down. He says, our goal in people's lives is love. What we desire is love. The aim of our instruction, the the aim of our charge is love, but these people are teaching the Bible, and it's not going to lead to love. 
Now, here's, here's, what this, here's what this means. Here's what this means for us. Why, this is why this is so important, and we often miss this so much in our life. If, if you think about, man, I want to grow. I want to experience more love in my life. I, I want to experience what God would have for me in 2019. I want that. Paul says, you know what one of the main things that could keep you from that is? It's teaching from the Bible. So here's how this works. People can quote the Bible to you. Your family can quote the Bible to you. Your friends can quote the Bible to you. You can read books that have Bible verses in them. You can listen to teachers that quote the Bible. But it can actually lead you away from what God desires for you. There can be people, like Paul says, that are teachers of the law, teachers of the Bible, that use what God has written. And it doesn't say they're being malicious, they're trying to trick people. These people think what they're saying is good. And they are bringing the Bible into people's lives. You have people in your life that have probably spoken the Bible into your life, and yet it can lead you away from what God's goal for you is. It can lead you away from loving God more and loving people more. Let me, let me give you an example of sometimes how this plays out, and I want to give you an extreme example because if the extreme is true, then we know it's true with all sorts of other things. You can find, you can find someone or you can find something to justify whatever you want. You can find someone to say whatever you, you can find, look, if you, here, so let me give you my example, okay? I, I just Googled this because I just knew something would come up. I Googled Jesus was an alien, okay? And, and here's what came up. There's an article uh, called Jesus was an alien. In, this is a recent article, two years ago. Inside the strange theology of the Aetherius Society. Now, there's thousands of people looking at the Bible, believing, and just so you know, we don't believe this. So if you're like, yes, I finally, a church that agrees with me. Okay, we don't, we don't believe this. Uh, inside the strange theology of the Aetherius Society. Now, here's the point. We look at that, and you're all laughing, right? You think that's silly. You think that's crazy. But they've got Bible verses. There's th- so here's the point. You can find anything to justify what you want to believe. You can find somebody somewhere when you Google and you are like, hey, is this actually wrong? Does the Bible actually say this? Is it really not okay? Is, it re- is this real? You can find anything to justify some position that you want to hold on to. You know why? Because there's people that teach the Bible. There's people that teach the Bible that want to be, as Paul said, teachers of the law. But they are actually, while using the Bible, leading you away from what God wants for you. Leading you away from God's goals for you. Leading you away from growing in love for him and growing in love for other people. So sometimes this works on our own when we sit down and go, man, does the Bible really say this? Sometimes it works as friends say things in our lives. Sometimes it works as family says things in our lives. Sometimes it works as we read a book and they've got a Bible verse or we listen to a teacher and they've got a Bible verse. And Paul says a lot of people, a lot of people are teaching the law. That doesn't mean it's actually going to lead you to what God wants for you. A lot of people are speaking Bible verses. 
It doesn't mean it actually is going to lead you to the life of love that God wants for you. This is what Paul says is actually very dangerous. He opens up the letter saying, this is a very dangerous thing happening in the church today. He says, this is, this is, I need to send you to Ephesus to fix this because there's people right now teaching the Bible in such a way that it's actually leading people away from God wants. The very thing that's supposed to lead us towards what God wants, it's leading them away from what God wants in their life to experience. Now look, think about who would be listening to this? Who would, who would listen to that? Who, who would sit there and say, hey, I, I'd love to listen to a false teacher today. I'd love to listen to someone lead me astray from God's goal of love in my life. Nobody would do that. And these teachers, they must not be stupid. They must have been compelling. They must have been wise, right? I mean, people don't gain a following, and people don't gain followers, and people uh, don't gain uh, notoriety if what they're saying doesn't sound good in some way. If what they're saying doesn't actually sound loving in some way. See, when we're in a place where either we want something to back up what we already believe, or we're desperate and we need help, so we'll kind of cling to whatever's there, or we feel like we've already tried certain things and we need something else. Maybe there's a secret tip. A lot of times when people teach the Bible and these guys were doing this, that what, they, what, what happens is they will say, hey, it's been, you've heard this for a long time, but there's this piece that you missed. It actually says this. And it sounds good and it appeals to our hearts or it appeals to our need. And Paul says, look, one of the biggest things that can keep you from experiencing God's goal for you is teaching that sounds like the Bible, teaching that even is from the Bible, and yet leads you away from what God has for you. He says this, and this is what's important, because then it can kind of be like, well, how do we know? What do we, you know how, do, how do we know if, it's, if any teaching from the Bible can, you know what he says? This is so important. And let me say, look, this is so important and so un-2019, if that could be a hyphenated phrase, okay? Because we don't like this idea. But here's what Paul says. Here's how he says it's, how, how we can know it's not good. He says, he leaves him to remain in Ephesus so you may instruct certain people, okay, these, these teachers, not to teach false doctrine. And then he says a little bit later, talking about the, the true doctrine, that some have departed from these. Now, here's what this is saying. It's saying that there is an accepted body of truth. That there's an accepted teaching that is true doctrine. That there's something that is these, that is true, that if you depart from, you're now dangerous. That there's something that is true doctrine that if you leave, you're now in the realm of false. Now, here, here's why I say we don't like this, because we, we like to believe, man, can't, can't everybody's interpretation is just as valid as somebody else's? And who can know what's right and wrong? But all throughout the Bible, these kind of phrasings are used. That there is something that is an accepted standard of truth. 
that there is actual truth. And if something is departed from that or different from that, the actual word that Paul uses in there is the Greek word heterodoxy or heterodoxia, which doesn't mean that it's a lie. It doesn't mean that it's malicious. It means it's different. But different implies a norm. Different implies a standard by which things are measured. If I say, yeah, I saw a movie, it was really different. It was, yeah, it was different. I, I had a friend once that uh, was very judgmental and they, they, uh, they, they would look at certain people and go, yeah, they're, they're different. But here's what that means. There's some sort of norm that is right, some norm that we agree on that if it's different, there is a true, there is a right. And Paul is saying, Here, here's what's dangerous in your life. Here's what might keep you from, here's what might keep you from the loving life God actually intends for you. It's teaching that is from the Bible, teaching that quotes the Bible, friends, family. I want to make this real to you instead of just some wackos in Ephesus. Friends, family, books, teachers that use the Bible, but it's different from what is the accepted standard of truth that has come to us from the apostles, that has come to us from the people that Jesus appointed to say, here is my teaching. Listen, this is why, and this is where I say this is so un-2019, this is why looking at what has the church historically believed is so important. This is why it's so important not to just say, hey, what do we think today? We're really smart in 2019. C.S. Lewis, Oxford professor, writer, he called this chronological snobbery, which is a great British C.S. Lewis phrase, right? If you had a friend that just kind of said something like that, you'd be like, you're an arrogant weirdo. But when C.S. Lewis says it, you're like, whoa, that sounds really cool, right? Um, So he called it chronological snobbery which is to say we look back at times past and say, those people, those people are so dumb. What did they know? Chronological snobbery means we always think that we're ahead of the curve. It means that we always think that what we believe today is best. You know what's interesting about that? You thought that 10 years ago. And you know this like Facebook 10-year thing, right? You thought you were looking fly 10 years ago. (laughs) But you were not, you know? And 10, year, 10 years later, you're going to think the same thing. I, my, my brother posted a picture of his, and I showed my kids, and they were dying laughing. They're like, ha, ha, ha. But, you know, when that picture was taken, like, he thought he was like king of the world, right? So this is chronological snobbery on Facebook, but it also happens with ideas. It's also really interesting because all the time, all the time, you look, just you scroll the news. It's always like, hey, we actually, we thought this and that's not true anymore. Now we think this. Science thought this and that's not true. Now studies show this. We thought that chocolate was good for you. It gives you cancer. We thought that chocolate gave you cancer. It doesn't. It's amazing for it. Like things are always changing all the time of what we believe and what we think is good. And hey, these are really good ways that things should operate. No, these are really good thing, ways. I mean, everything changes all the time which is why we need some sort of standard of truth to say, is this actually from God? This is why it's so important for us as people, for those of you that are Christians, and listen, I know if you're not a Christian, this sounds, it sounds really stupid. It sounds really archaic 
to think about something 2,000 years ago. But for those of us that are Christians, which is what Paul's concerned with, which is what my concern is today, is to say, look, there is something that is true. That if we start 2,000 years later going, I think they had it wrong the last two millennia. I think, I think we're now enlightened. There should be something in us that realizes the arrogance of that. Instead of saying, maybe, maybe if something has been the norm, the standard, if something has been what is the true doctrine, maybe the things deviating from that are the things that are false. This is really important. This is why history, and I don't mean history like reading about World War II, I mean history from a, hey, what has the church taught and believed for 2,000 years? If I get up and teach you Jesus is an alien, you should laugh and leave and throw a tomato, you know? That, that's what you should do. Because you should, your radar should go, man, the church hasn't been teaching this for 2,000 years. Is it really true that Caleb is just a genius and found the secret kind of mashup of Bible verses to show Jesus was actually an alien? Or is he off his rocker? Now, again, that's the example that we can all agree on, but there's so many other things where the Bible teaches this is the norm and the church has believed it for 2,000 years and then we come to it and go, yeah, but we're pretty smart today. We've got the internet. All right, where am I at here? Um, here's, here's, Here's where this keeps us from God's goal. This keeps us from love. This keeps us from love. And this is why Paul is so concerned. He says our goal is love. This keeps us from love because true love has to be based in truth. True love has to be based in truth or it's not true love. You can't actually love somebody if you are leading them to something that is false. You can't actually work for the best in somebody's life if you're leading them towards something that God says, that's not what I want. That's not good. That will actually harm them. This is why Paul is so concerned about this, and this is why he compares his teaching with the goal of love. And he doesn't say that their goal is hate, but he says because it's false, it will lead away from God's goal, which is love. So think about this. It might feel loving, and people maybe say this in your life. It might feel loving. It might feel like love, which is what these teachers would have thought they were doing. It might feel like love to say to somebody, hey, God just wants you to be happy. So do X, Y, Z, whatever that is. God just wants you to be happy. So do this. That might feel like love. And Paul would say, not if it deviates from what's true. Because anything that is false is not love. It might feel like love to say, you really just need to focus on you. Don't worry about any, anyone else. That might feel like love. But it's not love if it's not true, if it doesn't conform to what's actually true. It might feel like love to say, put yourself first. There's all sorts of things that might feel like love that aren't actually love if they don't conform to what God has actually taught us because his goal is love for us. So to move towards the goal of growth in your life, to move towards God's aim in your life, which is for you to love him more and love people more. 
then we need to we need to be able to focus on what God says is true. We need to be able to move away from what is false. So here's the, the last thing. How can we experience God's goal for us? How can we experience what God wants us to have? Listen, wouldn't, wouldn't your life be better if you love people more? In the truest way possible? Because sometimes we love people, but we're like, I don't really know what's best for them. I don't really know how to love them. But wouldn't, wouldn't your, I know mine would be better if I really knew how to love people well. And wouldn't your life be better if you really love God more? Paul says that's what God wants for you. And false teaching can get you off track from that without you even knowing it. And people that are well-meaning can get you off track from that without even knowing it. So how do we experience God's goal for us? Do we say, yeah, so get rid of the Bible, man. If it's just confusing and and I'm about love. Let's, let's get rid of the Bible. Let's get rid of those teachers of the law. Let's, let's do something else. Or man, who, who can know? How, how do we even know? That's not what Paul gives to us. Here, here's what Paul says. He says we have to use the Bible rightly. We have to use God's, ball, uh, God's Bible rightly. It's not that we get rid of it. It's not that we say, yeah, if we can't know about it or that uh, you know, the, the law, God's, God's teaching is going to lead us astray or it, so we shouldn't even think about it. We should just kind of go with, go with what feels loving. It's, that's not the answer. The answer is to use it rightly. Here, here's what he says. He says, we know the law is good provided one uses it legitimately. There is a good use and a bad use. There's good teachers and bad teachers. There's good witches and bad witches, right? It goes all the way back to Wizard of Oz. Not, not really. But the, the, law, the law is good if you use it right. There's not, there's not good witches and bad witches. All witches are bad, okay? Let me make my stance on this clear. Uh, the, Jesus is not an alien. All witches are bad. You've learned two things today. The law is good provided one uses it legitimately. Provided you use it in the right way. The Bible can bring God's plan of love into your life if it's used the right way. You can grow to be a more loving person. You can love the people around you wiser and better and truer. You can love God and be changed and experience more fullness and love with him if it's used rightly. If it's used rightly, not as speculation, which Paul accuses the false teachers of doing. He, he talks about, no, no one actually knows for sure all the different things that they were saying because Paul doesn't spell it out, but he says that they were into genealogies and they were into myths. And a little bit later in the letter of 1 Timothy, he says some people were saying marriage is bad or, hey, you can't eat this and you shouldn't eat this. Like there's all sorts of different things, but no, he doesn't ever list out here's all the things that they were teaching. He just says it's deviating from what is true. They're using it wrong. They're using it as either speculation or even uh, a way to just get better. Using the law, using God's word, using the Bible just as a means to improve themselves. So here's what happens. Here's how we often use the the Bible in a wrong way. Uh, in, In one of the ways it can be used incorrectly. And here's the wrong use of the law. We'll look at what Paul says is the right use. But here's the wrong use. You see a need of growth in your life, right? You see an area that you want to change. You look at and say, man, I wish I was a more loving 
friend. I, I wish I was nicer to my kids. I, I wish I called my mom more. I wish I, uh, you know, whatever. I wish I wasn't so selfish. I wish I wasn't so materialistic. I wish I didn't lust so much. I wish I, I could stop this kind of addictive habit that I'm in. I wish I, whatever it might be. We look at some area of growth, some place that we lack love. And a lot of times the way that we respond to that is shame. Just to just say, man, I, I suck. Man, I, I'm really bad. And maybe we hope if I feel really, really, really bad, I'll change. Uh, maybe if you hit rock bottom, I'll change. Or sometimes we, we see the area that needs to change, the area that we need to grow, and, and we maybe try to, uh, or maybe other people do this to us, try to help us change by fear. Which is to say, if you keep doing that, you know what's going to happen? If you keep doing this, it's gonna, everything's going to crumble in your life. We try to change ourselves by fear. Or maybe we try to change ourselves by pride. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. Man, I don't want to be like those people that do this. I don't want to be like those people that and so we try to change ourselves by feeling really bad or fear of the results or pride in the kind of person that we want to be. And Paul says there's something better that can change you. If the Bible, if the law is used rightly in your life, you can actually experience God's goal for change in your life. You can experience loving God more and loving people more. So here's what, here's what he says. Here's what he says the right use is. He says the right use of God's law, the right use is to look at it as a mirror. To look at it as a mirror that exposes what's there. That's, that's step one. Look, look at this. And this is just this giant list of things that he lists out. And I want you to find yourself in this list. I, I find myself here. He says, we know that the law is not meant for a righteous person. It's not meant for those that say, I'm fine. I'm good. And Jesus uses this language of the righteous, and it's kind of like in quotes. It's not meant for a righteous person. And Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. The ones that know there's something wrong with me, and I need help. This is how... Paul is using this. He says, we know the law is not meant for a righteous person, the people that think they're fine, but it's for the lawless. You ever break God's law? Then it's for you. And the rebellious, do you ever want to do what God doesn't want you to do? Then it's for you. For the ungodly and sinful, those are really broad categories. You ever live your life in any way apart from God? Do you ever sin? He says, then it's for you. Do you find yourself in that list? It's for the unholy and irreverent, people that don't consider God at all, people that live their lives with, with no sense of I am separated by God for God, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers. Now, I don't know, maybe somebody in here has murdered somebody or killed their father or mother, but you know what Jesus says? He takes the law and goes through it, Line by line, he goes, through, he goes through the Ten Commandments and talks with people and says, look, you've heard it said not to murder people, but I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, that's the same. 
I tell you, if you look at your brother and say, you fool, that's the same. See, Jesus is always showing the heart of the law so that we can find ourselves on the hook. Do you ever have anger in your heart towards somebody? For the sexually immoral and homosexuals. Sexually immoral, Jesus says, look, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, if you even have lust in your heart, it's the same. Sexually immoral is anything outside of God's intention for sexuality in marriage. Homosexuality, I know that's obviously even controversial to have up on here. It's Paul's words. God intends for man and woman to experience marriage and sex and a beautiful union. For slave traders, people that would kidnap other people and sell them into slavery. Liars. You ever not tell the truth? You ever commit to something? Say, I'm all in. I'm going to do this. And don't do it. You ever let your yes, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You ever, you ever lie? Perjurers. Similar to lying. And, and then here's, here, just in case you thought you were off the hook. And whatever else. And whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. Whatever else is different from all the things that is true that the apostles have taught, whatever else is different from the things that are true that God has laid out already in his word, any of that. Now, here's what this does. Here's what the function, here's the right use. Here's how you change. You know how? You look at that as a mirror. You ever go to a hotel, and maybe you have this at your house, I'm sorry if you do. Uh, They've got those giant magnifying mirror things with lights. And you look at yourself and you're like, I didn't know I had that part of my face. You know, you're just like, how is that on me? What is that? And maybe it's not, maybe that's just me. Okay. So like anybody looks good in the dark, right? Anybody, man, you like church is a great place to meet people and date because it's like the lights are dim. You're like, man, everybody here is so good looking, right? So schedule all your dates here for like six months, right? Uh, the law, the Bible's like that. It shows. It, it makes you come face to face. And, and, and other, other writers of the Bible actually use the mere metaphor for the law to say it shows you what you look like. See, the right use of the law isn't to just kind of help you self-improve, The right use of the law isn't to just kind of get into vain speculations. I wonder if it's this. I wonder if it means this. What if it really means this? It's to look at, here's what you really look like. Here's what's really wrong. And you're exposed. And you're shown for who you really are. You're shown for the areas in your heart that are actually dark. You're shown for the life that you live that isn't actually I love God, but is actually, I love myself and really want what I want. The law exposes us like a spotlight, like a mirror. It shows what's there. And then here's how, here's how that helps us actually change. Because if we look at it and go, yeah, that's me. Instead of just feeling bad, instead of just, okay, I really hope to change through, through being a better, we look at it and go, that's me. I I need help. I must need help if that's me. 
if that's, if that's really what I'm like, if that's really where my heart is, then I must need a savior. See, that's the right use of the law. It's to show us face to face that we can't do it on our own, that we need help, that we need Jesus to save us. Paul says the law is good if it's used rightly. The law can lead you to a life of love. It can lead you to God's goals for change in your life if it's used rightly. Which step one is to look at it, to see that we are the unrighteous that it lists, to be humbled, and then know we're free to come, to be humbled and know I need someone to save me. And then step two is the way that we change isn't by saying, okay, that shows what I'm like. Now I'm going to really be different and better. Okay, that shows what I'm like. 2019 is the year of the best me. That's not how. It's to come face to face and go, man, I need someone to help me. I need someone to save me. And then to let the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, enter into our life so that we are conformed to it. Here's what he said. Whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel. The gospel means good news. The good news is that God sent Jesus into this world to save sinners, to die the death that we should all die for being exposed for who we are. To die. We should die. But the good news is that Jesus would save us, that on the cross he would forgive our sin and give us his righteousness and give us himself. He says, whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel, which is that our lives should then conform to the gospel or earlier He said it like this. These, the false teaching, promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. The way that we actually experience God's goal for us of love, it operates, it's empowered by, it's energized by faith, which in the Bible doesn't mean belief. It doesn't just mean, I I have faith in faith, I, I believe. It means faith, trust in what Jesus has done, the gospel. So all of that is saying, here's how you experience God's goal for change. Here's the right use of the Bible, of the law. You see yourself. And you say, I need saving. I'm dishonest. I lust. I'm rude. I'm harsh. I'm impatient. I'm unloving. I'm unthankful. I'm not kind. I'm not joyful. I'm not, I live my life for me. I'm greedy. I'm a tear, whatever it is for you. You look at and say, that's, that is me. And I need someone to save me. And then you come to Jesus as savior and experience his salvation and put trust and faith in what he's done for you. And your life starts to conform to the gospel, which means If you're anxious and you say, man, I really hope that my anxiety would change. Really hope I wouldn't be so afraid anymore, so scared anymore. Your life conforming to the gospel, you start by saying, God, I don't trust you. I'm on the list. I don't trust you. I'm scared. I I, I want so many things in my life to go the way I want, and I'm not sure they will. God, I'm exposed. I need you conform to the gospel is then we allow what he's done for us to shape us. So we say, God, I know if you would give your son to me, then I know you have good for me. 
If you've already given me good news in Jesus, then I know there's good for me. We bring our life into conformity with the gospel. That's how we change. Not by saying, I don't want to be like that anymore. or I'll try better, but allowing what he's done for us to shape us. You want to, you want to serve your spouse better? It says you conform to the gospel. You look at how Jesus has served you. You look at how he has laid down his life for you. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. His picture of marriage is a mirror of the gospel. See, God's goal for every part of your life is that it mirrors, it conforms to the gospel. If it doesn't conform to the gospel, it's not God's will for you. He wants it to reflect who he is and what he's done in Jesus for you. That's how we begin to change. We see that we're sinners. We come to a Savior. We let what he's done for us overtake our hearts. And we begin to change. So you want change in your life? You want to grow in your life? You want to become more loving and love God more? What Paul says is that's what God wants for you. And the way that you become more loving is by soaking in the center of love which is the gospel. God revealing his great love to us in Jesus. You want to become loving? You need to see who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That changes your heart. Now, let me just say this to those of you that are Christians and maybe have been Christians for a long time. In some ways, it's easy to look at that and say, yeah, I already know the gospel. I already know what Jesus has done for me, but I'm still the same. I'm still stuck, which is why then a lot of times we lean towards other teaching and other things. We feel like we need something new to help us. I was talking to my wife recently. She was having a hard day, and I was sitting next to her on the couch, and uh, she said, hey, I, like, I need you to, and I was kind of having a bad attitude, and, and she said, hey, I need you to, like, I need you to say something to me. And I said, I love you. And she was like, that's it? <laughs> I said, that's all I got. I love you? Like, come on. That's like, there's songs written about this. I didn't say that whole thing, but I was like, that's all I got. But then she was right. And I grabbed her, pulled her over, and held her hand and said, I know this is hard. I love you. Same words, but she felt it instead of just me saying it. You see, what we need to bring change into our lives is the same old thing. It is the gospel. It is the good news of what Jesus has done. What will free you from every sin, what will build deeper love for other people in your life, what will allow you to serve what will allow you to be gracious, what will allow you to forgive, what will allow bitterness to go away, what will allow fear to go away, what will allow you to not be so worried about people's acceptance and respect, what will allow you to be free from the tyranny of needing happiness and success and health and all this in your life, what will free you from all that is the gospel, the good news of what he's done for you. But not just knowing it, but letting it get into your heart letting it touch the core of you. This is why Paul's so concerned about this. Because he knows God wants a life of love for us, for you. 
The way that happens is through a variety of things. But this is why here at True Life, man, we want you to let the gospel get into your heart. And maybe for you, that means making a commitment to read the Bible. Take, take the hearing from God class starts tomorrow and learn how to actually let the gospel get into your heart. And maybe it means joining an LTG, which is one of our smaller groups within our community groups. And maybe it means reading resources that are based in the gospel, not just Bible teaching, but based in the gospel to help you experience how it would touch and affect every area of your life. It can mean all sorts of things. But what I want for you, what God wants for you, is the good news to get deeper inside of you. And when we come and take communion, we remember everything we just talked about. That Jesus came to this earth and his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. Why? To save you. To bring you into his family. To show you love so that you would know him and love him and that we as a church would love each other. God's goal for change in our lives is love. What keeps us most from that, that we don't even often think about, is things that sound loving but are actually false. And the way that we grow into experience a life of love is by soaking in the core of love. Let's pray. Let's take communion and we'll sing in response to this. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus. I thank you for the gospel, the good news, that we are way worse than we think we are. We are exposed. And yet you are way better than we think you are. You are a savior. You're not just some generic God that says he's love and yet doesn't enter in. You save. You sacrifice. You gave your son. You, you come for sinners to save us sinners. We are exposed in the light. And yet we are changed by your grace. I pray, Father, for all of us here in this room that you would help us to move towards your goal for us in love that we would, even now, as we take communion and sing, soak in the center of your love for us, Jesus. A love that saves. In your name we pray.